Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Hello, folks. This is Chuck Curry alongside my... uh co-host Kenny B. Normally I do the show with Mike Rags, but he is, continues to be on hiatus. Welcome to our weekly podcast and our weekly radio show on WWO in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Just came out of the uh, Christmas New Year's season. So uh, to the listening audience, Happy New Year. And to you, Ken, Happy New Year. How was your Christmas and holiday season? My holiday season was great, Chuck, and uh, thrilled to be here on WoWo, and uh, as well as Cool 98.5 WXPM in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and I had a great holiday. I've spent it here in Pennsylvania, but looking forward to getting back to the beach because today would have been golf weather. I got you. Now, today on today's program, we're going to talk about uh, what's happening in film in general, box office totals, a little bit of an analysis analysis of the industry as a whole, and also uh, our top 10 movies that have a winter-themed setting, which is, is a perfect time of year. Although, as we record this show in uh, East Strasburg, Pennsylvania, believe it or not, it is 61, very humid and warm degrees, a little... Uh, a little unusual for this time of year. Uh, especially compared to a couple weeks ago when it was uh, below zero at times. That's the way uh, the season goes. Let's bounce right into uh, what's going on in theaters. And it seems that the theme is the same theme that we've seen play out over the last year. There's one movie ruling the roost, and it's Avatar Way of Water, which has now really gained traction at the box office. Now, normally, as I said last week on the program, the week between Christmas and New Year's, historically, pre-COVID, was always a cash cow, one of the best weeks of the year for theaters. And obviously, that translates to uh, profits for studios. But since COVID... All bets are off. Now, what happened over the Christmas to New Year's week, Avatar really was a dominant, and I mean dominant, player. It's now done $425 million domestically, worldwide $1.4 million, and still going extremely— Billion. Billion, uh, right, $1.4 billion worldwide, and it's still going extremely strong. Now, if you look at the number two movie at the box office, was Puts in, Puts in Boots, which did 16.861 million in two weeks of release. Before you get to talk about it, I know you got a chance to see it and review it. That's a solid number. Not stupendous, but it is solid. But now look at everything after it. This weekend at the box office, uh, this movie's been out for almost two months. Black Panther, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, 5.1, $438 million. Uh, in eight weeks of release. A very solid number, but the week in total uh, is no great shakes. The Whitney Houston movie, I Want to Dance with Somebody, 3.9. This film's grossed only $14.5 million in two weeks of release. Now, that's a movie that easily should do, I think, at least $50 million at the box office. If you make a comparison between Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, two other uh, biopics about uh, infamous uh, pop stars, there's no reason this movie should not do well. I think it's a solid watch. It's not uh, It's not a masterpiece, but it's a solid watch with a nice performance. And if you're a Whitney Houston fan, I think well worth seeing. And then 
rounding out the box office, Babylon, just $2.6 million over the weekend. $10 million total in two weeks to release Brad Pitt, Margaret Robbie star. This will be a financial uh, loser, obviously, for Paramount Pictures, riding the heels of the financial windfall of Top Gun Maverick this year. You win some, you lose some. I've always said producing and financing film for studios is sort of like a stock portfolio. You, you put different products, you buy different stocks, and you hit some, some don't hit. Same as the movie-making industry, but having said that, $80 million budget and probably a $50 million marketing campaign and a $250 million break-even, you know, Babylon, it's a pretty big loss there. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I did go see, I have to admit, I saw Puss in Boots uh, twice. And the one thing that I noticed both on Friday... Uh, the 30th, I guess it was, and on New Year's Day. And I saw it at a Marcus Theater, you know, one of these uh, the, uh, movie taverns. Uh, the parking lot was not very full, no. despite the fact they had uh, had Avatar playing. But I'll tell you, I loved Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I told you I thought it was the best written movie in 20 years. Wow. A great comedy. Praise. Great. They, they, they tell pull, me why. They pulled in so many mm-hmm. of, so there were so many Easter eggs in that movie. And I didn't even catch the one you pointed out to me, the, the Spock and Kirk. Yeah, I saw it in the trailer. So I asked you, send you a text. I said, is that in the film? Yeah, and I didn't catch it because, you know, they didn't do the split fingers. But, yes, soft paws and... Was uh, that okay? And I'm curious. Don't, was that an emotional? Was that emotionally powerful like very, it was in Star Trek? Very emotionally yeah. powerful. I, that, okay. you know, anytime you look into those eyes of uh, Puss in Boots. <laughs> and the, the other thing that's great for yeah. me is they definitely set up the next one mm-hmm. because at the end of the movie... It's not, a, it's, it's not a spoiler to know that Puss in Boots would, would live. At the end of the movie, he, Soft Paws, and a new character who really steals the show are on a boat, and they're sailing off to far, far away. So on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give it? 10. Really? It's, it's, it, it it's was, really cool. It, it was a, it's a great addition to the Shrek franchise, uh-huh. and I think we're going to see another Shrek with Puss in Boots coming up. Okay. Now, you sent me a text this week. And uh, it was on uh, CBS Market Watch, right? And it was an analyst who does uh, analyzation of the film industry, right? And he said he lowered, not a lot, but just a little, lowered his expectations for box office grocers in the year 2023 because there's a lot of movies in post-production and there's an overlog and he sees delays, okay? Um, From what I see... And we'll go over a little bit. We'll continue some of the movies that come out uh, from March until the end of the year because we did the first two months last week. But I do think there's a better product line in the marketplace. Not as good as it should be. I don't think it's anywhere near it was what we've seen in movies four or five years ago. But I do think 2023 will be better. I think the biggest issue that I continue to see is in the more sophisticated, what they call art house model. Now, next week, you got A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks. That's a good barometer film to see if more adult-oriented movie goes. And what I mean by that is the people who look for a little bit more highbrow type of film making, are they going to show up to this? But in all honesty, speaking to uh, different people in the industry and different theaters in the art house circuit, a lot of them have really had to change their model and go more mainstream because they just, they've one, there's not enough product in the marketplace from art house film. The audience, which is 
45 plus, I would even argue 55 plus to a lot of these theaters. They have not returned post-COVID. Um, so where do you see the industry uh, in 2023? Well, a couple, couple things. First of all, even with the projections now that are a couple million off of 2019, we have to remember 2019 was actually the start of the decline. The, the movie industry had declined before uh, COVID began. And we also have to take into account that if you end up at 2019 levels, you're going to be about 20% below 2019, thanks to inflation. But uh, the, two, the two movies I'd look for if I were an art house, and maybe even throw in third, 80 for Brady may uh, surprise people. But the... Um, I know. Do you see that trailer? I did. Okay, I did. let me tell you something. You're talking about Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton, and uh, Rita Moreno. It seems embarrassing. I, I'm sorry. I just, I, it just, I understand silly and having a good time, but I don't know. I think the two you're going to see yeah. be fairly good will be a man called Otto. I would agree. With that, or at least our barometers, and the other and one is good advanced buzz. The other one is the book club, and uh, because you uh, you got people like Candice Bergen, yeah. uh, Bergman, uh, Bergen, who has not uh-huh. really done a lot lately. You have other people like Jane Fonda. I think that one, uh, because it's sort of the female version of uh, the uh, of, of a bachelor party i think that one will be actually a good barometer as well okay so let, let's just say there's any listener in the audience that might invest in stocks would you personally invest in amc stock no i i, because I, I think one i think it's still overvalued mm-hmm. two it's clear it's that diluted they're, too that well they're going to dilute it even more mm-hmm. when they convert and they're still shoot they're, they they still use as their target 2019 when they lost half a billion dollars. Um, they, until they can show a ability of profitability, I wouldn't be investing in any of them. I do expect the parent of Regal to make a comeback because they'll, they'll end up getting the, the equity refinanced and uh, the, debt, the debtors will end up in control. But um, I, I do see that perhaps. I, I, I even like, you know, if I was looking at movie theaters, mm-hmm. I like this smaller chain, something like a Marcus which is really held up pretty well. Is that publicly traded? Yes. It is, okay. And uh, also um, uh, Cinemark is, is doing all right. Well, we're going we're gonna to see, you know, me and Mike have talked about this ad nauseum post-COVID. Um, I, I do think the industry as a whole will get better. Uh, I do think, I just think the culture has changed dramatically in a very quick period of time. And people's habits of doing things and discovering, and me and Mike talked about this so many times, you know, Looking back at like the 1980s, going into a theater, not not exactly knowing what you were going to see because it was pre-social media. You weren't bombarded with images uh, and and advanced reviews the the way you are now. So, you know, walking into a movie theater, say in 1984 and, and sitting down and watching James Cameron's Terminator, it felt completely fresh and original. And it was like, holy cow, this is Amazing. That's why the, the the legacy of films like that have sustained itself for gener- for for generations. I think I just think we're in a different uh, a period. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I wanted to. I told you this a little off here. Okay. Last week I was saying what I do as a business owner in our community. I do a lot of stuff with ESU athletics, uh, the college, right? So 
I always invite the sports teams down to the theater, Pocono Cinema, which I'm involved in, you're involved in, uh, in East Strasburg, to screen a movie at least once a season because I think it's a good team bonding event. So I've done this with the girls' soccer team, uh, the softball team, and the lacrosse team. So I had the girls' basketball team down here for the first time. And like I always do, I welcome them with open arms, 17 girls on the team, and I got them smoothies and, 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 uh, and milkshakes and popcorn and soda candy and... They're like, wow, this is really super cool. So I gave them a choice of watching a few films. Now, the college doesn't want me to show an R-rated movie for whatever reason. I know it's ridiculous, but... So I said, listen, I'll give you a choice. We screened The Beside Adventure because you've never seen it. It's from the 70s, my favorite film. I think you'll enjoy it. Or I'll make you laugh. And I said... I love Back to School, Rodney Dangerfield from 1986. It's one of my favorite films. And it's hysterically funny, at least to me and everybody else who grew up in the 1980s. So they said, okay, we want to laugh. I walk in and out of the theater about 15 times when they're watching it. I don't think, I don't think they laugh one time. And uh, I guess I had egg on my face, and I didn't understand it. Now, I can't say they didn't enjoy it on a certain level, but when the movie ended... I said, take the rest of the popcorn, lemonade, whatever you want to take home. I didn't ask what they thought because based on the fact that I'm sitting in the back in and out and when Ronnie's doing the triple Lindy, I'm buckled over laughing. To me, that movie is, is as funny as it gets. One of the most enjoyable star turns by a comic of all time. I don't think they got it. Why didn't they get it if they didn't get it? You tell me. Because I am perplexed. Uh, because they're not used to straight comedies these days. And the, com- the comedy you do get tends to be... Now, he- here's another question. In the age of woke... Yes. Do you think Rodney was too much for them? No, I don't. Okay, well. I really don't. I, 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 I don't think it's a question of wokeness because... Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these students are less woke than you think. Okay. This is, I think so, too. This is East Stroudsburg and not Berkeley. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, think they are, I think they're not used to the straight comedy anymore. There's just it, The only comedy, we, the laughs we get tend to be tongue-in-cheek superhero movies. I agree. I, I guess the best com- comedic performance of 2023 was Chris Helmsworth in Thor, Love, and Thunder. I mean, he actually was really funny in that movie. Unfortunately, a lot of the fan base, at least half the fan base, didn't want to walk in to see Thor as a full-blown comedy. And ultimately, I think that's what Thor, Love and Thunder was. I did enjoy it on a sort of entertainment level, but I do get, if, if, they, did with, if they did that with a Batman movie, boy, I, I honestly would be furious. Now, one, 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 thing, one, one thing I'm still on the state of the movies is, to paraphrase... Uh, uh, the guy that wrote, why can't I remember this? The guy who wrote uh, Tom Sawyer. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Yeah, to, to paraphrase Mark Twain, <laughs> the, the death of, the, uh, of streaming has been greatly exaggerated. And I think a lot of people who are getting excited by, about movies think streaming is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got all no, exci- uh, they got all excited because they allowed them to show Glass Onion for a week before it went to streaming. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're seeing still in the product line, and this you know being tangentially involved with a small company, that let me may look actually, that word up in the dictionary. That may may actually produce a movie this year. Uh, they they may have got some funding for something. But the the small the independent movie uh, producer mm-hmm. is still going to be producing for streaming because it's a guaranteed paycheck. Uh, as opposed to taking a risk on what you do in the box office. Okay, but here's the caveat. HBO Max, under the CEO, I just read an article. He continues to cut and cut and cut. So I do think the the unlimited checkbook writing 
that was written out over the last two years by Netflix, by HBO Max, by uh, Amazon and Apple for anybody who has talent to produce a movie for that stream. I think that's going to dry up to some extent. Believe it or not, HBO Max is cutting products so much. They just cut episodes of, I think, season four of the Flintstones from the 1960s because they don't want to pay third party residual fees. Which is almost stunning, but that that's how extreme HBO Max Warner Brothers has gotten here. But but they have they have movies that are made for them that cost less than ten million dollars to make. And 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 I'm I'm sure they're very happy to write that check. I'm talking yep. about I'm talking about the movie like The Gray Man that two hundred million. I just to me the, the one of the big stories of 2022 for me is the fact that they actually that Netflix wrote a check for two hundred million dollars. To do the Gray Man, a movie that pay that ninety nine percent of everybody never saw. Oh, I, right? I, I, I agree, but I, I don't think they spent that much for Emily the the Thief or whatever it is. Uh, and that one True. was that was actually to me that was a very entertaining movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know. I know how movie theaters run, and I know percentage and 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 how that business model gets. I still think a lot of people, unless you're a really inside analyst, don't really understand the streaming model and how much they have to produce a certain amount of films and TV shows in the calendar year versus what the subscribership is, uh, their payroll, obviously, which is a massive part of any business. And there's a, a ton of payroll, I'm assuming, in Netflix and HBO Max to run the joint, right? Yeah, yeah. but you know, as we were used to say about Bruce Willis uh, before he became ill, yeah. he was producing a lot of movies for a million dollars a pop. And... You think, well, why would you, why would you do all it for those a million? Mo- all I, those movies, yeah, though. I, I would sure, I'd sure be willing to do a movie yeah, for a million for, dollars. If you were for three weeks. Yeah, yeah. That's what he did. But they are, they are streaming quality movies. Mm, they're, even, they're even worse than streaming. <laughs> they're, 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 they're the bottom of the shelf Walmart type m- m- material. But uh, I guess that uh, is what it is. Let's do some um, this week. We'll start with this week in TV history. Let's try to jog some memories. January 4th, 1984. A sitcom called Night Court premieres on NBC. Harry Anderson, John uh, Larroquette, Richard Mull, Margie Post. Ran for nine seasons. Thoughts on that? I love that. I love that show. And, uh, it's of course, it's coming back. Reboot. It's, With John uh, Larroquette, isn't it? John Larroquette, but this time we, we were woke, so we have to have a diverse judge. But, of course. Uh, no, it's... Uh, and I, I loved it because this has happened to me in court. The uh, John Lair- and the one uh, coming attraction, John Larroquette asked the judge, Can, uh, may I approach? And she says, no. And he says, well, how about if I lean? But uh, I loved it. I, I think Harry Anderson was a big part of it. Yeah, it was really good. I really loved Marky Post back in the day. So. That was a good... Um, you see, all the good sitcoms that have a legacy, they're good... Com- you enjoy the company of the characters. And I got to tell you, I don't know how this reboot will fare, but... A sitcom with a night court, late night court setting. I think it just it works. And and you know people think that that stuff was exaggerated. No, that's how night court actually looks. Okay. And you and you would know because tell a listening audience Be, because I've been arrested a few times at exactly. night. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. No, because, as, as, as a lawyer, but also just <laughs> uh, the yeah, and because night court, you basically have people coming in for the 
um, you know, quick justice and leaving either, you know, petty theft, prostitution, drugs, those kind of things. And that creates a lot of great jokes. couple birthdays of interest uh, this week. Nicholas Cage uh, this week, January 7th, turns uh, 58 years of age. Got a big, really a big resurgence in his career over the last few years after doing a lot of straight to uh, DVD material. I will say my favorite Nicholas Cage part is still Stanley, uh, Stanley Goodspeed. And Michael Bay's The Rock opposite uh, Sean Connery. I think that's an iconic piece of entertainment and action movie. And I really wish, and I don't understand why, me and Mike talk about this all the time, why they never sequelized that film. Uh, even if they couldn't do it with Sean Connery, that character of Stanley Goodspeed was so good and entertaining and fit Nicolas Cage's persona like a glove. Why didn't do another one? Any thoughts on Nicolas Cage as a whole? Uh, again, he's one of those actors that I thought was really good for a while and then became really strange. So it's good to see maybe he's getting back into some uh, roles that aren't aren't that crazy. I'm, I, my favorite with him was probably Burning Man. Wicker Man. Wicker Man. Oh, Wicker okay. Man. Now, now, here's the thing. Wicker, the, Wicker Man is... That movie got slammed. It was a remake of a, of a film. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact he got I burned. I sort of enjoyed it on a, on a, on a, on a weird level because it's just Nick Cage being... Uh, Nick Cage. Now, I don't have his age in front of me. I know uh, the other day was Mel Gibson's birthday. Now, I just want to say, me and Mike talk about Mel Gibson very much. We're both fans of his work. Uh, Mad Max, Lethal Weapon franchise, to me, is iconic. I hope they do part five. He's supposed to direct it for HBO Max. Will it materialize after this course cutting? I don't know. Uh, obviously, his career took a very interesting turn when he did Passion of the Christ. Uh, and directed that. I think his legacy in the industry as a whole has been tarnished. I and, think and that's then, then no he doubt. Op- he, opened his mu- he opened up his mouth a few too, time, yeah, too many times. Too. So I think, I think his legacy is tarnished. There's no doubt about it. But as a actor and director, I think he's a fantastic talent. Braveheart is one of the you know, great movies made in the last 50 years. I, I loved Apocalypto. I just think he's a, uh, a, a really talented guy behind the camera in front of the camera. And I just want to point out that it was his uh, birthday this week. I just want to also point out that story. Uh, hopefully, he's going to be okay. He posted a picture on social media of him in a hospital room. Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye in the Marvel movies and done so many good things. He's a really good actor. Interesting personality. Um, fell off a snowmobile plowing snow in Reno, Nevada, where he lives. Um, Obviously, a very serious accident in critical but stable condition. It appears he had severe injuries to his leg and his chest. What do you think when you heard that? I, I was shocked, but I, I, I believe he was, he was actually run over by a snowplow. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, very, I, I was, you know. His own, see, right? Yeah, His own, thrilled, right? Yeah, thrilled to see that he's recovering. No, I thought he stopped to help a motorist and he got hit by a snowplow, but whatever it is. Oh, I don't know. What was it? I, what, I thought, I thought, what I thought he had stopped to help a motorist and the oh, regular boy, snowplow oh would come by. Holy and, cow. And it's not, not a fun thing to happen. No, uh, not at all. Now, before we get to our top before we get to what before we get to our top ten uh, winter set movies that we enjoy, not necessarily we're not telling you these are the best films of all time, but we're telling you these are ones that we like that get us in the mood at winter time. And what other way to get into the mood for winter or any other season is to watch a good film that deals with that very uh, subject. Now, getting back to some of the movies that are going to be released now until uh, June and July, I think this weekend this movie. First of all, this movie. Uh, 
this movie, Me- Megan, which is about an animatronic doll that goes on a rampage. Sort of like a Chucky movie, but it has an interesting CGI look. It's tracking very well. It's actually tracking at an 18 to $20 million opening weekend, and some analysts think it's going to blow past that mark. That's good, and it goes to show you, Ken, it just feels like anything with a little bit of an interesting hook gets people interested. If you don't have that interesting hook, and you're just sort of a generic release, not so much. You hook them, you have a possibility of getting people into a theater. Yeah, if, so if we redid Casablanca and the plane at the end was a Transformer, people would come see it. I would think so. Now, here's the deal. Uh, in 2022, I just want to point out, Disney, for the seventh straight year, led the box office totals. $4.9 billion Disney uh, took in in ticket sales. $2 billion, $2 billion domestically, $2.9 billion overseas. Here's their movies. Now think about this. Talk about big, massive popcorn movies. Avatar, Way of Water, number one for them. Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Disney's Lightyear, which is a sequel to Toy Story. So here's the deal. Every one of these movies is a sequel. Yep. And only one of them sounds like a uh, traditional Disney. Well, not, not even Toy Story is not even a traditional sto- um, uh, Disney movie because that came from Pixar, right? Yeah, well, it, it, which is a division of right. Disney. And then Disney bought 20th Century Fox. That's how it got its hands on the Avatar uh, franchise. The that, last, was, that was in that acquisition. The last real Disney movie was probably Encanto. Have they had anything since then that was uh, actually? And now they. they and then, well, no, no. Well, they did that animated movie, uh, that just Strange World. Okay. It was a straight. Which, uh, Disney production. Which nobody seems to understand. And, no, and nobody went to. And they're going to have the live, and you know, I'm sure get to it, but the live action uh, Little Mermaid this year. Here, Okay, let's start with let's start with Marsh because we ended in February last week. You, you give me your, I'll give you your, just run, well, I'm going to run down these titles. You give me your opinion. You think if people are going to come in droves to the, Creed 3, Michael B. Jordan directing uh, this franchise, starring and directing, obviously he's, he's creative control over this franchise. I, I, to me, a little bit of bittersweet because Sylvester Stallone, much publicized, very much disagreement with uh, the creator of the Rocky franchise. Uh, that he doesn't have creative control and more financial profitability and profit sharing, as to say. So he's not involved with this anymore. So Creed Three, the trailer looks really good, and they're using the formula that made a lot of the Rocky franchise very successful. It's like a mixture of Rocky Three and Four involved here in the storyline. Um, what do you think? Well, I, I haven't seen any of the Creed movies. So, but this is now you have a totally different franchise just with the same name because the you know the character. I'm a big fan. Listen, I love Creed one. I loved it. Creed two, I liked very much. It was a good script. Added so much to Rocky four and the Drago character. I I like this franchise. The question is, will the entire fan base show up without Stallone? Is Rocky Balboa? Well, the, the real question I was going to yeah. is, who is the fan base? Who is the fan base for Creed? Is it actually still I mean, the Rocky? I, I think it's. I think a lot of it is Michael B. Jordan's face. He has a lot of fans. Yep. I, let me tell you something. I employ college girls. I talk when they if 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 in a rare existence they talk movies. They talk Michael B. Jordan. They yep. like him a lot. So we'll see. Still it's the a, second best basketball player ever. Ken does comedy for people that don't that don't know. Uh, I, I, let me think five seconds. I'll let you know if I'm going to laugh or not. Okay. So, okay. It's a movie called Sixty Five. Big studio film. Adam Driver, who gets a lot of work and he's a good actor. I don't know if he, I'd make him my lead in an action movie, but if you watch the trailer, interesting trailer. It's a mixture between Planet of the Apes 
and Jurassic Park. Now, there's another studio going to do dinosaurs beside Universal. It's Paramount. And what is, it's about a guy who crash lands on a planet like Charlton Heston did in the beginning of Planet of the Apes. But instead of discovering apes, he discovers the planet is inhabited by dinosaurs. I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of twist ending here at the end. But uh, it's a very interesting trailer. Yeah, the, the twist ending is at the end. He's going down the beach, and he goes, oh, my God, I can't believe it, uh, because I'm going to screw up my joke here. <laughs> because it is the guy from, uh, I hate when this happens, from the Rolling Stones. The, uh, Mick Jagger? No, the, old, the other guy, the, the old Keith guy. Keith Richards? It's Keith Richards okay. there, and he goes, he was alive back then. Okay, that's, uh, that's pretty good material. Uh, Shazam, uh, Fury, Fury of Gods, that comes out March Seventeen Zachary Levi. Listen, I, I like the first Shazam to a point, but I don't know how uh, this new regime here at Warner Brothers, how invested they are in Shazam character going forward after this film. We'll see. This, but it's my perfect example of tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek Very humor tongue-in-cheek. being the only humor we see anymore. Yeah, John Wick 4, Keanu Reeves comes out in March. It'll do well. Listen, those movies are so well-directed yes. and choreographed. He's awesome in those films. If you like action and hard, hardcore uh, action, great chore- choreography in terms of fight sequences, it's going to do well. And then Scream 6 comes out in March. This one really was filmed, written and cut and filmed real quick after the last installment takes place in New York City, sort of uh, aping what didn't work with Jason Goes to Manhattan back in the 19, uh, ni- 1980s. Uh, I think it's, it's a respectable idea, let's, let's, say, let, let's say that. I don't know. Okay, April, real quick, Renfield, Nick Cage is Dracula. I don't know. Uh, it sounds streaming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A remake of Salem's Lot with a no-name cast. No need, no need to remake it. I, I, I just, I just don't see that performing in a, uh, in a theater. What else do we have here? That's pretty much it. I know it's an animated movie. Now, uh, in May, this is a big one. May, Guardians of the Galaxy three. James Gunn's last directorial effort for Marvel. He's now the head of DC superhero entities. It's, it's, it's a good trailer. People are going to be interested. This one, if, if it's good, it's going to do very well. Fast and the Furious. X, which is Fast and Furious 10. Here's my concern with this movie. It's not a lot for a movie that costs a ton of money. It's not a lot of pre-hype on this film at all. What can they possibly do new? Not a lot, except make it bigger and bigger. Listen, they keep adding to the cast. Um, they're bringing back Gal Gadot, who had a minor role in this franchise. Bringing her back. You got Charlie Theron. Vin Diesel headlines the, the cast. Um, no Rock, though. No Dwayne Johnson. Uh, it, it's going to do well. Disney's Little Mermaid, live action Little Mermaid. Thoughts on that? That that's that. I listen. I like live action Beauty and the Beast a lot. Um, I thought Aladdin was okay with Will Smith. No great shakes. They're doing everything. Disney is regard. There's no. I don't want to use the word. There's no shame in the bean counters at Disney, but they will do everything and anything with their properties to squeeze another dollar out of it. It I saw the uh, you know previews at the movies it looked good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely better than the live action Lion King as well. Uh, I I really thought that the, the the comic version of Lion King was better, but Yeah, I mean I liked the live action version of Lion King. It was, it was it was very respectable. But they they cut some of the better music though. But yeah. the the thing that the thing that I uh, noticed about uh, the Little Mermaid is there's this controversy that the Little Mermaid isn't white and 
when you saw when I see a mermaid, I never think. I always think of them being green. Yeah, I, I, you can't, yeah. I, I don't think innocent. You can't think. But as a so star is H E R, or I don't know if do we call her her or. Her, but you know the star of it is H period E period R period, and she actually seems to sing pretty well in the role. Uh, let's see how that plays. Now, listen, it's gonna make it's gonna do well. And here's a, here's a June looks really good. You got uh, Spider Man uh, across the Spider Sphere, which is a sequel to uh, uh, that that uh, into the Spider Verse. Uh, that movie was so well received. Um, this is gonna do well. Transformers, another one that comes out in June. Uh, really a no name cast. Uh, I watched the trailer. I mean, you know, these are well-done movies, but I don't know. They just feel like, I know a lot of people like Bumblebee. I thought it had marginal entertainment value. I wasn't a huge fan. The ones with Mark Wahlberg were terrible. I liked the original, the first one with Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf, and then the third one was all right. But other than that, it's just a franchise for Michael Bay to make millions of dollars in his right and left pocket. He's not involved with this installment, but I'm assuming it'll get people into multiplexes. Now, Two big ones. This is the one I'm looking forward to as much as any money, any movie in 2023. The long-delayed Flash, simply because one has gotten really good advanced buzz. I know the troubles of Ezra Miller, but having said that, I could discard that when I watch a movie. It, it just is what that is. Um, I mean, he didn't kill anybody. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he has mental... He's got issues, but... I do want to see this movie badly simply because Michael Keaton has returned to play Batman. Now, the old regime was so gung-ho on making this the universe. It's a multiverse movie. Ben Affleck's involved as Batman also in another verse in this film. Uh, They cut, from what I hear, a couple cameos in the film by Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and Henry Cavill's Superman. They cut, cut that out. So they want to go in a different direction. So how much credence... If this movie is really well received, and then they go, oh, by the way, you're never going to see Michael Keaton as Batman. You're going to never see Ezra Miller as the Flash. Um, it's, it's really weird what has gone on with Warner Brothers in, in the superhero properties. But I do so want to see this movie. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that they should have cast Jim Parsons as the Flash. A little, a little. Uh, uh, I understand why. I'm never gonna, never, never gonna, gonna happen. happen. Now here's another big one. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. They just cut the trailer, released it a few, uh, about a month ago. I thought it was a good trailer. A ton of CGI. I mean, Harrison Ford's 80. Um, we've talked about this, me, me and Mike, on the show, because he's, he's Harrison Ford and Indy is his favorite. Should they do an Indiana Jones with an 80-year-old Harrison Ford? Uh, are people going to embrace this? James Mangold is a director. Steven Spielberg is not involved. He has an executive producer credit, but... James Mangold is, is, is the creative head of this film. Um, it did test screen, depending on who you believe. The ending of the film didn't test well. I'm sure they'll correct that. I don't know what you do with this franchise other than, honestly, reboot it. Um, is it sacred territory? I mean, they reboot Batman every few years. They reboot Bond for decades is Indiana Jones rebootable, or is Harrison Ford the only Indiana Jones we should ever see uh, from now until the end of time? You tell me. I, well, I think the difference between Batman, Superman, other things is that they had a they had a an existence before Understood. that's a very they fair became point. a movie. Very fair but point. Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. I still think if they want to keep it going, they have to do it with. A, a different character. In the same universe. In the same so universe. What, here's what I think. I think the female lead, I don't recall her name, who's in this movie, right? I think that's what they did at the end of the film in the test screening. And audiences, now I hope they wouldn't kill off Indy because that's just ridiculous. 
I mean, I know he they killed off Han Solo in the Star Wars, Star Wars movie, and I do think in that Force Awakens film, that scene gave that movie a lot of power. I, I do agree with that. Harrison Ford wanted that. Having said that, we were robbed of ever seeing a chance of seeing Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Luke and Leah with Han in one scene together. We never got to see that, which if you think about in retrospect, is somewhat delusional to think that you have this talent and you could get them together and you didn't do that, J.J. Abrams. Having said that, I did think that scene was powerful and I am a big fan of The Force Awakens. But killing, if they thought about killing Indy at the end of this film to pass the buck to a female lead, that is not going to wash. I I don't think I'd kill him, but I'd have somebody else uh, take over the mantle. And as long as Harrison Ford's still alive, Mm -hmm. he can fill the role that that Sean Connery filled as his father. I guess so. Uh, But... uh, well, they, you know, they, shy, they did the idea was to do that and to some extent with Shia LaBeouf, right, in Crystal Skull. He just didn't radiate with the fan base. So that never materialized. And I think they said, Mangle said, they do make reference to that character in this film, but he's not in the, uh, the, the movie. Having said that, I hope it's good and I hope people go to the, go to the movies in droves in 2023. So let's start with our... All right, we have a list we composed. We want to always do something top 10 and have a lot of fun with it uh, for the listening audience and ourselves because I do enjoy doing this very much. Our top 10 winter theme movies to get us in the mood for the winter season. Um, I'll let you start with your 10 through 6, Ken. Yeah, and I did it again. I ended up, uh, you know, the problem is I have six fingers in one hand. So when I count on my fingers, I think it's 10 and I end up with 11. So my joint number 10, uh, 2005, Morgan Freeman, best. A documentary Oscar, March of the Penguins. Oh, it's good. One of the few documentaries I actually sat through and enjoyed, but it's not. I'm going to tie it with Dennis Quaid, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Emmy Rossum. She, Emmy Rossum, had a great 2004. She turned 18. She did Day After Tomorrow, and she did Phantom of the Opera. But uh, Day After Tomorrow, you know the uh, I, listen, the, the I, Earth freezing, good yeah. movie. I, 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 this is what I would say about that movie. I like it a lot. I think the first half is superior to the second, but I, I still, it's, it's an extremely rewatchable movie, boy. Exactly. That, yes. Number uh, nine, 1993, John Candy with the true story. Well. Based on a true story, it's Jamaican bobsled team, Cool Runnings. I found, I found it to be hilarious. Good movie. 1978, Robbie Benson, Lynn Howley wow, Johnson. you're bringing back, a, you're jogging the memory bank with Robbie Benson. The, the great song, Through the Eyes of Love, Ice Castles, where the, the skater gets blinded and makes a comeback. Now, that was, a the, was that theatrical or was that a TV film? Oh, no, that was theatrical. Okay, okay. I, I saw that in the movies okay. with my first wife, okay. and I still put it on my list. 19, or 2014, I believe it might have been her first foray after leaving Downton Abbey. Jessica Brown Finley, uh, Colin Farrell, Winter's Tale. And of course, in that one, the, he's, a, he's a burglar. The heiress, young heiress dies in his arms. He finds that he has the power of reincarnation. And it's about him bringing her back to life. Great movie. And I also I just loved, uh, I loved her when she was on Downton Abbey and loved her in that one as well. Number six. Another ice skating movie. Ano- so these movies, okay, it has to be cold to, to have ice, right. correct? Okay. And I, I think they're also set in the winter. Yeah. 2007. Yeah. John Hader, Will Farrell, Will Arnett, Amy Poehler, and Fort Wayne's own Jenna Fisher and Craig T. Nelson, Blades of Glory. And the amazing thing about that, I found it a funny movie, mm-hmm. but that movie, again, art 
predicted life mm-hmm. because they end up as being a skating pair, Will Farrell and John Hader. And there's just been some skating. So the Canadian Association has just said that going forward, pairs skating does not have to be a man and a woman. Really? So the two men, the two men in Blades of Glory was a, it was a premonition for what would come. Yes, really. I'm not, here's the thing, I, I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan, I said on the show, but uh, those, those are good picks. None on, my, none on my list, I believe. Here's my 10 through 6. My number 10 is 2002's Insomnia, with, uh, directed by Chris Nolan, one of his earlier films. Al Pacino goes to Alaska, northern Alaska, to investigate a murder of a young girl. Robin Williams plays against type, plays the heavy. Hilary Swank is a really good supporting turn. Uh, takes place in Alaska, obviously a lot of snow, uh, and it and one of the main components of this movie is there's a 28, 40, I mean, for 24 hours of daylight, which gives Al Pacino's character insomnia, the, hence the title. Number nine, Rob Reiner's Misery. Uh, I love this movie. One of the best adoptions of a Stephen King work. James Kahn, who some people felt was miscast at the time. I totally disagree. Kathy Bates, iconic in this movie. They work really well together. Number eight, a movie called The Grey. I think one maybe Liam Neeson's best sort of action-oriented adventure movie. Uh, I love this film about uh, an airplane crash, crash in Alaska and uh, bloodthirsty wolves. It's a good ensemble. He's really good. It's his gritty. It's super well-directed and very intense. Uh, and it made me feel cold when I watched it. Number seven, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, number seven, John Carbons is a thing. What else is to be said about this 1982 now classic film? Kurt Russell's a star, but feels part of an ensemble. A great cast, super cold movie. Uh, some of the best practical effects done by Stan Winston at the time still holds up as a modern day classic. And number six, I went with a movie called 30 Days a Night with Josh Harnett. One of the best vampire movies ever made. One of my all-time favorite horror movies. To me, this is a mini classic released in 2007. I remember sitting in a theater watching it, being blown away. The atmosphere in this movie was just amazing. The title, hence, is, hence the title, 30 Days a Night in Alaska, where it's a 30-day period, no sunlight, all dark, snow, blizzard, uh, vampires. If you haven't seen this movie... This is a good one. 30 Days a Night, my number six. Yeah, I think, I, I think the only one on your list, I probably, I'm not sure I've even seen the thing. The only one on your list I think I've seen is Misery. And I got to tell you, you know, it's, uh, as you know, I refer to Kathy Bates having uh, Mike in the basement every week. That's why I have to fill in. But <laughs> I, I, I think hope anybody his, hope, I, his, hope his ankles are okay. Yeah, but I think anybody could have been in that role because I think that was Kathy Bates. That was that was her shining moment. But a great great list. I've, I've heard a lot about the gray. See, I, I can't watch movie. anything. I can't watch anything scary. My my number five, 1993. It's the true story of the odd couple. I think Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon, and Margaret Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. In fact, his last movie role would be in the uh, sequel to this. You know, the story of two people fighting over one woman. Now, there is a Christmas scene in it, but I think you'll agree this isn't a Christmas movie. No, it's not. Movie, it's just a really good movie, and it, and it was very popular. Yes. Grump, grumpy Old grumpy Men, old because men. it gave rise to grump, grumpier old men, and it was a chance to see Mathal and Lemon together again, and they will always be a great team on the, on the uh, silver screen. Good, uh, good pick. 
my number five. I went with the, I went the, with the Re- Revenant, which Leonardo DiCaprio won the Oscar in 2015. Because I remember sitting in the theater, and 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 it, it's in the 19th century. Uh, he plays a frontiersman, uh, all outdoors, and I kept saying to myself, people whose heat breaks down for an hour complain now. Think about being in the outdoors, wearing a bare skin that you cut yourself, being in water, freezing, and you, the, whatever reason, human beings were able to deal with this type of weather. It's a really gritty movie. Uh, there's a sequence in this movie where he fights a bear. Pretty intense. I don't know how exactly they, they did it, but his performance is really good. He finally got an Oscar. It's very well directed. Uh, good movie, and that certainly captures a winter feel. So that's my number five. My number four, well, we're going to go to the Ice Planet Hoth, and because that's where the main action is going to take place. And we have those great uh, things that looked like, those, whatever they call those uh, AT-AT fighters. Uh, but they look like giant camels. It would be 1980. It will be the Empire Strikes oh, Back. Okay. Because that, that is, that's, that's set in cold, the, main, the main action. Uh, I, would, I would argue the best uh, of all the Star, Trek, uh, Star Wars uh, movies. I know when they re-released it, I watched it again. And, I, I mean, it holds up really well. It's darker in tone, and uh, it, it's a great uh, Star Wars movie. My, my, number, my number four, I went with a, actually a, a TV miniseries. And it was from uh, original air date February 19, 1999, Storm of the Century which was uh, a Stephen King uh, short, I believe. He wrote, he, wrote, uh, he wrote the screenplay for this miniseries, and it stars Tim, Tim, Timothy Daly, who I think is awesome in this, uh, and an actor named Colin uh, Ferroni, who was uh, the villain in this movie, and it's about a blizzard uh, on an island called Little, Little, Little Tall Island, and this, this evil presence comes into this small population and uh, he plays with their mind. This is a really, this is one of the best miniseries I think uh, ever made. If you're a Stephen King fan, this is awesome, Stephen King. Storm of the Century from 1999. Timothy Daly, super likable guy, still going strong. Uh, now, uh, this was this is a good piece of television, Ken. Yes, it was. Hey, I got to mention one thing is sure. we are taping here at the Pocono Cinema and the, for the old time cinema feel, one of your employees just went out with his pole and mm-hmm. the box of letters yeah. to change the movies that's up really on, cool. on the uh, marquee. And that's much better than these uh, ones it's that are be- digital. It's actually better than the Cinemark, which is in Strasbourg, which has the same <laughs> sign for uh, 15 years. Right. Uh, and, and it's gotten pretty dirty over the years, actually. <laughs> well, now, now, for me, 2013 and the sequel in 2019, mm-hmm. and I hope we have another one coming up, Kristen Bell, Idina Menzel, who's a great Broadway talent, uh-huh. Frozen. The Frozen franchise. One, it's, I'm, sh- I'm shivering already. But it was one of the more more successful yeah. Disney franchises in in recent years. And if you have young girls in your family, so I know our theater manager here, Courtney, and myself with mm-hmm. the uh, young granddaughters. Yep. I've had I've had to uh, buy and uh, listen to so much Frozen. Uh, when last time I went to Disney World. My granddaughter woke up every morning singing Into the Unknown, and uh, it's just a great movie, great family movie, and you know what? What? It wasn't bad. It actually wasn't bad for adults to watch. I can't argue with that. It's not on my list because I have, I'm sort of a little bit unpartial to animated stuff when I do my list. My number three, okay, goes back to 1993, comes out Memorial Day weekend. This is when I first met 
my, one of the first times I went, I met my wife when we started getting somewhat serious. I took her to New York City. We stayed at the Hilton. We went to uh, a really nice movie theater, and we saw Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, and it was directed by Ren- Rennie Holland. And I, I'm a big fan of this film. Uh, Janine Turner, it's always really good... Uh, Really good female lead opposite Stallone. She worked really well with him. Michael Rooker was good in this movie. I still think this movie, one, is unique. Uh, Stallone said he did it because he wanted to get over his fear of heights. The cinematography, the stunt work, the practical work in this movie is incredible. Uh, when you The opening sequence in this movie, which is one of the most horrifying, grab you by the throat, suck you in, uh, sequences where a, a, a girl, a, a, a character in the beginning, um, is hanging off um, a rope between mountains, and uh, something tragic happens uh, to sets up the storyline of the movie. It's one of the most hook-inducing, holy cow moments you'll ever see in a movie. I think Rennie Holland is a very underrated director who did Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Good, really good work. This is a good, really good movie that has stood the test of time generationally. I watched part of it last night, actually, at my my, uh, ice cream parlor. Uh, It's on Hulu. And I I, I love every frame of this movie. Stone's awesome in this movie. I would say he's as likable as anything he's done. And if you take out Rocky and Rambo in his bio, this might be his most enjoyable movie for me. Other than the a Rocky or Rambo movie. So very, number three is Cliffhanger. Very good movie. For number two, and I think our Midwestern listeners probably uh, can relate to this one a little bit, but uh, if you're going to have a Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. which you know is going to be kind of quirky, and what, what better stars than Francis McDormand, mm-hmm. uh, William H. Macy, and Steve Buscemi? And of course, that's 1996's Fargo, which... You know, everybody at the time was talking about it and talking about the bloodshed in it. But somehow, he had bloodshed, yet it still was quirky. Very quirky and, and, and funny and entertaining. Uh, and I believe won the Oscar for Best, for best Picture. They, they, they did a um, TV show on FX, which is very good. Fargo TV show, very, very good. Good good pick. My number two, and this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I consider it, I consider this movie... As good a character-driven movie as I've ever seen. I did not see it originally in theaters. I must have discovered it on VHS. The budget, I think, from what I read, was six, was uh, about a $10 million budget. It only grossed like $16 million at the box office. It was shot, Star Sauce Christopher Walken, and it was shot a little after the Natalie Wood tragic death incident, which she was on that boat. He completely enveloped himself into the character of Johnny Smith, a Stephen King Base movie directed by the great David Cronenberg. I think one of the best things he's ever done. A perfect marriage between actor Chris Walken, director David Cronenberg. An amazing supporting turn. One of the great supporting characters I think ever in a movie. Greg Stilson, played by Martin uh, Martin Sheen, and, and Johnny Smith is a character who has the ability after getting in a car accident of second sight, the ability to touch you and see what will happen in your future. It's so character-driven. Christopher Walken has never, and I mean never, been better in a movie. Even better than Deer Hunter, as he was in The Dead Zone. To me, has a special place in my memory as one of my all-time favorite films. So, number two for me, The Dead Zone, back uh, 1983. Also turned into a very good television series. It was a good show, and Anthony, Anthony Michael Hall was the star. It was a good show, but that movie... 
was just uh, just from beginning, uh, first act, second act, third act. It's just per- it's a perfect perfect screenplay, perfect movie. Yeah, Walken definitely plays a grittier role. He's in that. super likable. In oh that yeah, movie. oh yeah, yeah. And I got want to point out Brooke Adams, uh, who was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She was a really super likable special talent. I like her a lot too. And my my number one. Yeah. I threatened that this was going to be my Christmas movie number one. Um, my favorite war movie of all time, uh-huh. Henry Fonda, mm-hmm. Robert Shaw, Robert Ryan. Robert Ryan was made to play you know, cranky uh, army commanders. Okay. The Battle of the Bulge. Uh, okay. What uh, year? What year? That would be 1965. Tell me why you like it. I, I like it because it, it really caught some of the humanity of, of the war. You know, you have these guys basically celebrating Christmas, being lazy in their foxholes mm-hmm. while the Germans are attacking you have the immediate bloodbath where the uh, U.S. is losing. We have to hold Bastogne. And then at the end, as you know, things happen that are serendipitous, the Germans run out of gasoline. And you see this long line of German soldiers mm-hmm. walking back to Germany. With, because we knew they were running out of gas because we captured some Germans, and they all had rubber hoses with them to siphon off gas. Uh, just a great war movie and a very, very good cast. Good pick. My number one uh, would be Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I did not see this in a movie theater back in 1980. Uh, I, I watched it on television, never really in its entirety, until I did a revival of it probably seven, probably seven years ago. And we did two shows. One was Saturday at 10 o'clock and the other was Sunday at 6 and it was when I was trying to build a revival series at this theater Pocono Cinema and for whatever reason a lot of people showed up 80 people showed up to the Saturday show 80 people to uh, the Sundays 160 people total for a revival movie that's an excellent that's an excellent uh, gate excellent and I watched this movie and I gotta tell you it was one of the most hypnotic involving Interesting experiences I've ever had in, uh, uh, in sitting in a movie, watching a movie. The Shining was made for a movie screen. It just was made, and, and it captures winter feel, claustrophobia, what it's like to not want to go out of the house. Uh, as we know, uh, Jack Nicholson uh, plays Jack Torrance, a writer with writer's block who slowly, or in his case, maybe a little bit more than slowly, goes mad inside a claustrophobic setting. Shelley Duvall, really interesting casting, but just beautifully shot everything interior ken was a sound stage everything out exterior was shot at the uh, i think uh i don't recall the name of the 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 in the movie it's called the overlook but they shot in a, in a resort in colorado but everything internally was on sound stages and danny riding that uh that that tricycle uh on the on the carpet on the big screen one of the great shots and it was cinematography in the history of film. And uh, Kubrick did it on what's called um, uh, a, a crane, which is, had the camera on like train, little train tracks. Yep. Incredible shot. Uh, I think, to me, a masterpiece, The Shining from 1980. So I, I put it as my number and one. And an ad lib that ranks up with uh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, and that was the Here's Johnny ad yes. lib. Uh, but, you know, it's, what's amazing is as I'm sitting here... Going to sh- need a bigger boat would yep. be another yeah. one. Shout out, shout out here to uh, Joe Mooney, but I'm sitting here watching, a, looking at a Joe Mooney special, yes. which is Jack Nicholson from that movie. So Yeah, well, just so people know, in our theater, we have uh, we, we commissioned an artist, a local artist named Joe Mooney. He did a mural of different movie characters, and one of them is Jack Torrance, which is Jack Nicholson from The Shining, and it is, and it is a, a 10 out of 10 
piece of artwork. I mean, it's, you couldn't draw better than what he did, and, and it makes it gives light to the theater in a really interesting way. But again, we yeah. have a top ten list where we had twenty one movies because I can't count, mm-hmm. and we didn't have any overlap. That is very interesting. Now, now to be honest, yeah, I, I knew you were going to have The Shining on your list, mm-hmm. so I didn't put it on mine. I actually thought you might have had a couple of mine on your list, but now, uh, it was. I think we we both have we have different. Types of, yes, of and movies I think that's, we like. and that's fun. I think it says, you know, when I'm on the air with Mike, I think me and Mike, uh, we can complete each other's thoughts. We're very similar in, in generation and, and, t- and taste, and we've known each other for a, a long time. So this has really been, been fun. Before we close, I just want to say, is, is there anything you're looking forward to in 2023, movies or not, and just as a, as a person living on this planet? Yeah, no, I, I, but movie-wise, I really yeah. am looking forward to uh, The Book Club. Okay. I like those kind of movies. I am looking forward to that. I have to be looking forward to The Little Mermaid, of course, mm-hmm. because I saw it with my kids, and now I can see it with, with grandkids. What about indie? I'll, I'll see it, but I probably won't see it in the movies. Fair enough. I, this was a lot of fun, Ken. I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure doing this uh, program with you. To our fans uh, on our podcast, thank you very much. For our listeners on Whoa Whoa, and I want to say on behalf of Ken and myself and Mike Rags to everybody, Happy New Year. See you next week. Okay, bye, Chuck. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.